Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Hub podcast. And just a little quick reminder before we get to our episode today. Uh, make sure you go check out what's happening down in Arizona, uh, over in Washington, uh, all these different states who are losing different things. There is a listening period in Arizona right now so that you can actually do something about some of the predator hunting that is getting attacked. So uh, if you need some more information and you can't find it, check out Hunt AZ on Instagram. And Ryan there has got some videos uploaded there to uh, share what struggles they're going with. And even if you don't hunt in Arizona, this is a sportsman's issue. So make sure you pay attention to that because I'll just move on to your state the next time. Thanks and enjoy this really, really awesome and fun interview with uh, the Western Huntsman. Enjoy. All right, Jim. Thanks for jumping on the Western Hunting podcast and appreciate rescheduling with me. We had a little snafu there and I totally blew it. So Jim rescheduled, okay. appreciate it very, very much and brought him on. I, I think I just discovered him on Instagram and uh, I remember one night just trying to look for some good guests and people that are doing some things and I've been digging on your, your website a little bit, thewesternhuntsman.com and uh found a cool thing a couple of cool things i really like so uh, let's uh first cool. get a good introduction and and share who you are your background uh tell us a little bit about yourself well thanks clint i i appreciate you bringing me on man uh, it's always uh i you make it sound like it was such an inconvenience to have to reschedule to talk about hunting but i mean that's what i love to do talk about hunting so i'm <laughs> you know not worried about it but yep. uh yeah uh I, well, kind of like your name suggests the Western hunting hub. Um, you know, we're the Western huntsmen. I, uh, it's, it's kind of a, it's a platform focused on Western hunting, but it's, it's certainly not just limited to Western hunting. Um, but, uh, for, for me personally, I, I grew up hunting the West. I grew up in Utah, uh, and spent a lot of time in Utah, Idaho and, and Wyoming, uh, doing very outdoorsy. My family was very outdoorsy. Uh, very much into hunting, very much into fishing, camping, boating, whatever you name it. Um, and that's kind of how I grew up. And and as I grew up, I got this, you know, one of those, we, we talk about it a lot, that that deep-seated childhood passion for, for hunting in the outdoors and, um, you know, living it as a lifestyle uh, more so than just as like a hobby, if, if that makes sense. And, and that's what it is for me. It's, it's a lifestyle. 
Uh, mm-hmm. There's, there's always, there's, we, we live in two seasons in my family here. We're either gearing up for a hunting season or we're in a hunting season. And, and that's, there's really no in between. So um, I turned, I turned 18 and, and thought it would be a really cool uh, uniform to wear and, and join the Marines. I uh, think, I'd pick up chicks with the, the dress blue uniforms <laughs> and uh, did five years in the Marine Corps infantry, including, in fact, the, the week I was supposed to get out of the Marine Corps, the Iraq war started in March of 2003. Uh, so I got stuck there. And, and was in that initial drive into Iraq uh, when it was still more of a conventional thing and less of a, you know, uh, occupational operation. Um, and got out of the Marines, moved back to Utah, had a, had a job offer from a friend of mine up in, up in Spokane, Washington, about a month after I got out. And uh, I, liked, I liked my prospects up there better than I did in Utah. Uh, I was going to miss uh, the muleys in Utah, but uh, mm. uh, moved up to Spokane, started working for him and went to college. And I've uh, basically been up here ever since we did. My wife and I did take, I took a job back down at Salt Lake back in 2008. And we were there for like three or four years and then came back up uh, to, to North Idaho. We, cause when I, when I moved up to Spokane, I, I was only in Spokane for like a month. And then I moved over just across the border uh, the people that are familiar with the area will know what I'm talking about to, uh, to post falls, Idaho. And so I was in North Idaho and essentially we've been in North Idaho ever since, um, had a, had a band, uh, country band that toured around and played in all these rowdy Idaho and Montana bars for a few years. Awesome. Uh, I, yeah, uh, from what I could remember, it was cool. <laughs> and so oh. <laughs> it, uh, but honestly, it cut into my hunting time too much, so I, I stopped doing that. And I, I got married to my wife Nicole. We have uh, we have two daughters. They're currently twelve and ten. That's actually about to change, man. It's winter, so they're, I, I'm going to have a teenager again, and uh, not looking forward to that. But but uh, she she's a good kid, so whatever. It is what it is. So anyway, last last year we sold our house, man. Yeah, we were in Hayden, Idaho. Sold our house. And bought a piece of uh, land, 26 acres up here in Clark Fork, Idaho, uh, and moved out here in a fifth wheel. And we have been basically homesteading out here for the first several months. We didn't have any power, no running water, no nothing. It was and it was a lot of work. Uh, got everything set up. Uh, my my girls and I, we and, and my wife, we are we're big time into the outdoors and 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 being sportsmen and. Uh, so this was nothing new to them cause we camped a lot, but we, we switched it from camping to actually living in the, in the forest. This is bare land that nobody's ever lived on before. Hmm. And now I'm happy to say that we have power and running water. As of about two weeks ago, we have the running water. Our well finally got finished. Oh, wow. So that's made life better. Okay. Uh, so other than the four feet of snow outside, <laughs> uh, we're doing pretty good with it, man. I, and we love it. It's yeah. not easy, but, but we love it. Yeah. Um, I guess to mix us into all that without boring people to death, a few years back, I was writing articles for some magazines and a, and a hunting blog and, and uh, some online stuff. And my wife told me that, uh, you know, all you want to do is talk about hunting all the time and, and what, you know, some of the issues are that we're dealing with as hunters. And and why don't you start a podcast? And honestly, I wasn't super familiar with podcasts. I, I hadn't really been like a big time listener of podcasts before. And so, um, like a week later, September elk season started. 
uh, went out and uh, got an elk down and it was a, it was a decent elk. But when I shot him, he went off this like cliff face up here in North Idaho and busted uh, one of the uh, more than half of his left side off of his antlers and then took out like a, a couple of the tines on the, on the other side. <laughs> so oh, wow. it was pretty disappointing. Uh, but it gave me a cool studio name and we call the studio that I record my podcast in, uh, the broken time studio. And so when I found that elk, it was like, I kind of, I was with my cousin, Andrew, and I looked at Andrew and I'm like, dude, this is what it's all about. I am going to start, I'm going to take my wife's advice. I'm starting a podcast. And we started a podcast, the, the Western Huntsman podcast back in 2019 and uh we have been going about weekly ever since with the exception of sometimes i shut it down for a few weeks during hunting season so yeah that's kind of the gist of it man awesome and so you've got uh going on three years just uh another year or so in in front of me on that yeah and and, uh been uh i i noticed and folks out of Scroll through some of those episodes. You got. It looks like you've got some great guests on there that I'm excited to go listen to. So, want to give us a couple of highlights? And maybe that'd be a little difficult on the number of the episode, but just episodes to look for that were the a couple of those good ones, really good ones, or you learned a lot from this guest or, or whatever. Which oh, ones? Oh man, we, I yeah, yeah. I I do have a couple that surprised me. Like I, you know, like, like you said, I've, I've gotten some incredible people on the show and, and I love my, my goal actually, when I started the show was to just kind of bring awareness to some of the, um, issues that we face as hunters as, and the future of hunting and what we face against the anti hunting movement and things of that nature, you know, but really more spec- specific to Idaho and, and, uh, kind of this, it was, it was an Idaho specific conversation kind of out the gate uh and it turned into um gosh we have and probably like you guys but i mean we get listeners from all over the place man i like this just it just blew up in a way that i never imagined uh super thankful for that way excited about it uh but that gave me the ability to bring on some of these big names and i loved those conversations but I was real focused on getting people on the show that people had never heard about. And, and some of the messages that could we could get from some of these guests that people would normally not hear from. Because everybody's heard the big names on, on different podcasts and what their message is and what they want to talk about and you know hunting styles and, and all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of people that are absolute um, killers in the woods and, and they, they deserve to be heard from. But nobody ever hears from them. And so that was kind of my goal. It went like half and half of that. I've got people that are great guests and that, that people know. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if you want to call them celebrity hunters or whatever. Uh, and I've had guests on that nobody knows about. And uh, they are just as effective and good at spreading some the information that I think benefits all hunters whether it's, you know, we're talking hunting strategy or we're talking about the future of hunting or, or whatever. But to answer your question, I kind of went off on a rant there. Um, I do have a couple of those. And, and the first one I'm going to tell you, I had a guy named Dan Gardoki on. And I want to say this, I don't remember if it was last spring or the spring before, but it's an episode called Snitches Get Stitches. I just read that. And <laughs> yeah, and uh, 
the interesting thing with that episode is this guy is like some bird expert and he and he's like a nature expert uh he he is a hunter but he's not like known as a hunter right and he's just somebody and he's he's got his friend nate with him and nate is actually how i met dan uh and these two are like nature survivalist type kind of experts that know how to like speak the bird language and he brought on all this information about like when you're hunting a bear or you're hunting an elk or, or you're hunting and, and the bears start talking or, or I'm sorry, not the bears, the birds start talking and they're starting to make all these different noises and stuff. They're telling you what's going on in front of you and how that can apply to becoming a better hunter. It, the episode blew my mind and it, and it went like berserk download wise. Everybody loved it. Huh. Um, I, I was totally surprised by that one. I'd highly recommend everybody get on that one. Another one would be with Dr. Valerius Geist. Uh, Dr. Geist is just a legend in wildlife management research and science and all the things when it comes to like wolf management and predator pits and, and the things that we struggle with sometimes a lot, you know, a lot of these issues, especially in like Wyoming, Montana and Idaho, uh, where we've got wolf issues and, and different predator problems that we're dealing with. Um, he actually knows what he's talking about and because he's he had been studying this he just passed away this last year yeah uh but he's been in this field and uh, studying the wildlife for for so long and written so many books and have he has so many he has so much credibility on the on the subject matter that i brought him on for uh i could have i could have gone on for like four hours with him um and so that was a great one one of the things that people have really responded well to on our show is we do something called the school of September series. Yeah. I see that. Talk talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, if anybody, anybody that's listening to my show knows that I'm, I'm super passionate about elk hunting, man. I I love archery elk hunting in September and, and, uh, calling in elk and bugles and the, the whole gamut of, of what we know of September. It's, it's, uh, it's my biggest passion. And, um, I thought that because I'm I'm not a terrible elk hunter, but I'm not a great elk hunter, for my own selfish reason, if I brought on a bunch of experts to talk just about September archery elk hunting, maybe it would make me better. And so uh, that's what we did. And the, the school of September, we usually start that, I usually start that around April or May. And once a month, I bring on somebody, whether it's Dirk Durham or Corey Jacobson or um, you know, the elk shape, Dan Staten, you know, all these yep. names that people know, the elk nut, Paul Medell, um, everybody that I've brought on has brought like some kind of different type of insight to the episode that if, if everybody listens to that, what they're doing, they're, they're able to take some of these tools that these guys are offering and put them in their own toolbox when they go out for, for elk hunting in September. Uh, and it's an education. Uh, it, it, it just a lot of really good information and tips and strategies, how to call elk, how to, how to prep for elk season, how to, how to be in shape for elk season, how to, you know, strategize and locate elk, how to break down elk and pack elk out all the, all just everything elk. And so we did that. Um, and that I would say those are definitely by far the most popular episodes we do are, are the school of September episodes. And we're going to do it again this year. We're going to, we're going to keep rolling. And uh, what I like about it is, is uh, sometimes I bring the same guests back for like a second round of their school of September episode. And they've got a lot of new insight and information that they can offer. And it, it just works out. It's, it's just been a great, 
it's been a great uh, little series and and i put it all on the website where if you go to like the articles tab uh you can click on the school of september one and that will have all the episodes in one place um so somebody could just just go snatch that and and listen to all those episodes and i promise it'll make you a better elk hunter it it has for me hands down well awesome i'm I'm kind of in a podcast rut right now, and I've got my handful, dropping a couple, picking a couple up here and there. Uh, mm-hmm. So you got me kind of excited to go listen to a few, and, and hey, cool man, go, go listen to some some new content. I need I needed uh, I'm ready to take on another another one to binge for a while. So that'll be yeah, that'll be good to to hear because I'm I'm excited about I, I picked a couple out myself here just with. Uh, um, like you had said, bona fide antlers. The uh, mm-hmm. yeah, bona fide antlers. Yep, with gonna, Ron. Yep, gonna chat. Check out that one. And um, there's a. I had an interview with with Kevin from Wilderness Athlete as well. Uh, be interesting to yeah. see kind of back then just what what he had to say. So a few things there that are uh, pretty pumped for. Go listen to. So yeah, awesome. Yeah, go, go check those episodes out. And then uh, any others that you wanted to highlight, or we can move on. Yeah, no, we can. We, I mean, it, I'm obviously, I, I'm biased. I'm proud of all of them, right? So, so check them out <laughs> if if you like to talk hunting. Um, my my podcast has an underlying theme of what we're going to do to protect the future of hunting, and the idea is to to develop passions in people that might not be passionate about hunting. Maybe they're into it a little bit, um, and go out for two or three days on a weekend here and there, you know. Uh, but maybe they're not passionate enough to pay attention when it's not hunting season uh, to, to what, what some of the threats are to this, this kind of life. And, and so there's, there's that underlying theme. Uh, you can hear it in the intro and that is the focus. We want to bring passionate hunters to the table to have these passionate discussions that are important and, and talk about uh, our future as hunters and what we're going to do to protect it. So, so our kids and grandkids can, can experience it like uh, the same way we did. Yeah, there's so there's so many people that don't log into their account. They don't see the new handbook until literally the day before. They're missing. They're applying yeah. for their tags on the last day. I mean, yeah, come on yeah. now. That's like, <laughs> it, you know, it's uh, foreign to me because this is the, what what I I literally do this hunting stuff for work. I do this in my mm-hmm. uh, right now podcasting, and then on the drive home and to work, it's listening to podcasts. So it's yeah. nonstop and my love, my wife loves me for it. Um, but it's, uh, it's just nonstop, nonstop. And even if that's June, <laughs> I'm, I'm still tuned into something. And so if you are yeah. not tuned in, you made a really good point. You're missing out on a lot of those things that are happening, the legislation, the, uh, commission meetings, the things that are changing. Uh, so. Because that's when the important stuff happens, Clint is, right. is, you know, I have no problem with somebody that's just a hobbyist hunter. They, they want to go deer hunting for a few days every year, and that's it. Uh, you know, I, I don't have any particular problem that, with, with anybody that wants to do that because they're still on our team. Oh, sure. But what, what happens is, is people get so caught up in, you know, after hunting season, then we've got Thanksgiving and Christmas and winter and our jobs and our kids and our, you know, career moves and houses and mortgages and, and whatever. Uh, all these distractions that take away from it which is just normal life. You can't blame anybody for it. But that is when, that is when this negative anti-hunting legislation gets uh, you know, pushed through. 
That is when uh, bear hunting bans happen in Washington. That is when, you know, you know all these things that, that kind of come together. It's, it's not like the, the people that, are, that we're fighting against, these anti-hunting organizations, they're not dumb. They, they, they do this when people aren't paying attention. Um, and, and it's, it's, it is off season and off on season. I mean, what better time than when all the elk hunters in the West are in the field hunting elk during, you know, October rifle season or something to try to push some new piece of legislation through when we're all off grid, you know, so it's, it's, there's never a, a, a good time for us and a bad time for them to introduce this. And so, uh, that's, I guess, kind of the, the concept so a lot of the discussions we have on my show are, are, are really centered around that. And one of those scary new things in the last, since COVID started is commission meetings are now broadcasted and anyone yep. can tune in. Anybody can yep. jump in there and someone from Southern California can jump in and get their three minutes or whatever they get and make a complaint. They can bring in that stuff, something and to a commission meeting in New Hampshire, <laughs> they can they can do that. Jump in there, and now you have somebody that's thousands of miles away influencing the hunters in that state. That kind of scares you're, me. You're exactly right. And the the other there's there's another element to that um, that I think people should know about when it comes to doing these Zoom meeting type commission meetings. Um, there's a there's a human element lost in in that kind of meeting where the the importance or the efficacy of, of of the voice of the 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 citizen is is really reduced and what i mean by that is is it's it's the same thing like when you get on facebook right and somebody posts something and and somebody else disagrees with it and they just verbally rip somebody else apart over what they posted. And they're so mean and nasty to each other. Mm -hmm. If they were sitting in a Denny's restaurant, having a grand slam breakfast together, that wouldn't happen. And they disagreed that they would not talk to each other like that. If you tried to talk to somebody in the bar like that, man, you get punched in the mouth. Right. And, And so this same, that, that same kind of element transfers uh, that dynamic transfers to these out-of-person Zoom online meeting rooms where these commission meetings take place, and and it's much more difficult for people to let their voice be heard. And somebody could stand up in a, fi- a physical in in-person meeting. Somebody could stand up and express their opinion and have the passion in their voice masked with the the expression on their face and really get their point across. Where where when it's when it's online that, that you, we lose all that and that for. Since the dawn of time, that is how best uh, communication between humans has happened, is in person. And so, yeah, man, I, I can go on all night about that. Oh, so. <laughs> I hated I hated those the first two minutes, two months of learning to have meetings on Zoom. Oh, I hated it. I went from having I a previous job. I went from having the coolest job and loving it, loving it, to kind of dreading it. There was pieces yeah, there yeah, yeah. I, I dreaded because having these meetings with these my supervisors and totally misinterpreted everything I said. Or there's a lag time because my internet was horrible, so it was just it's like they didn't hear anything I said. It just totally yep. misinterpreted. Oh, I was the worst. <laughs> I was the worst. I'd never do that again. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. It sucks for so, sure. So it's a good pivot right into uh, your website and some of these exact things you're talking about. I. I found on there the five principles of the Western Huntsman. And it 
I I've had that in the in the back of my mind. I don't I had a website when I was with Podbean and um I don't really have I don't have a pod or a website right now for the Western Hunting Hub. Uh just because I'm not a writer. I, I'm totally audio. Um I don't I don't yeah. have any articles, yeah. so I don't sell anything. I don't know. Um but I've had this in the back of my mind, like what what are my principles here with Western Hunting Hub? And I've got them in the in my head, but I really like yours. There, those are those are perfect. Let's go through some of those. I really, really <laughs> like them. I, and kind of what? Well, thanks, man. What uh, what kind of triggered those things? And and talk to us about those those different five. With we are we are a free people is where you're starting. Yeah. So the the first principle is is we are a free people. And and to answer your question, where it triggered it is. Uh, I, I didn't want to just start a podcast without a mission and an objective, right? Mm-hmm. And and I had to have something defined that gave me a direction to take the conversations in the show in a way that actually affected change in, in people's thoughts and behaviors and, and, and just, you know, the, the best way to make an impact is, is to have a clear direction. And so that's why we put the principles on the, on the website there. And the, the one that starts off is we are a free people. What That one's really important to me. What, what I mean by that is we as, as people, we as Americans, obviously we're, we, have, we have listeners all over the world, but are obviously we're based in, in the United States of America, right? And, and we, we believe in the American system to a very deep degree. Um, I, I, the freedom to me is not like a buzzword that you hear a lot of these politicians talk about and they, they, they don't even know where to take it. Um, they don't understand the, the depth as to what this means as an experiment that the world has never seen in, in when, when you look back through history. And so in my mind, this is an exceptional situ- situation and, and a standard that no other country has experienced. Right. So when I talk about we are a free people, I, I mean just that. It is not anybody's business or entitlement to be able to dictate the choices and lifestyles of another person. In in the United States, if I want to be a hunter, I shouldn't have to explain or defend that lifestyle to an anti-hunter from Portland, Oregon, or San Francisco, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't – and I'll, I'll give you a great example of what I mean. I have no problem with somebody that wants to be a vegan. The difference is, is a lot of vegans like to shove that belief down my throat and try to make me want to be a vegan or force me to be a vegan or, or something along those lines. And that's where that's inappropriate because it is, you're, you're losing the beauty of what the American system is, the live and let live uh, system that, that has created the highest level of comfort for humans on the face of the planet. We are we are a free people. We make our own choices. Our destiny is ours to create. I will never tell somebody how to live their life as long as they don't tell me how to live my life. And that, to me, is a critical step when we're talking about everything, you know, hunting context-wise um, moving forward. So that's why it's number one, because first of all, we are a free people. We won't let anti-hunters or anybody else tell us that we can't do this. This is a right. This is a, 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 a life that we choose. And we don't want anybody 
to tell us that we're wrong or, or we can't do it anymore. Just like we won't tell anybody else that they're wrong for do, living the kind of life that they want to lead. So long as they're not running around wanting to be rapists and murderers and child molesters. Right. I mean, we've got to use some common sense there. So that's principle number one. Well, the, and and let me comment on one thing there. The, uh, um, it's just so idiotic for somebody to, to try and force a, a veganism approach on someone. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. You you can't have everybody in the world be a vegan. It doesn't work. You don't have enough no. ground for growing okay. whatever the whatever plant. And I loved loved. I'm I'm I don't watch a lot of TV, but I my wife and I really really enjoy Yellowstone. It's just a good show. And you know why I'm mad at that show, man? Oh, why? I'll tell you why I'm mad. Because I, I love that show too. But you know they had this scene where. John Dutton, the main guy, Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. is he's got a bottle of bullet whiskey on his nightstand or, or whatever, yeah. wherever he had that. And he pours some, whatever. And uh, that's my that's that's my whiskey of choice, man. And you can't I, find it now, huh? Like. And now I can't find it. Everybody <laughs> goes out and bought it. You know, like it drives me crazy. <laughs> uh, I, I, there's a quote that he had on one of the most recent episodes and I'm still two behind. So let's just not break any, ruin anything for anybody. Okay, but, I, won't, I, I won't ruin it, man. Cause yeah, I'm all caught up. Yeah. Um, but he, he says, you ever plow a field? Cause he's talking to that, the, the vegans that were, or the mm-hmm. protesters, uh, to plant the quinoa or sorghum or whatever the hell it is you eat, you kill everything on the ground and, and under it. You kill every snake, every frog, every mouse, every vole, every mole, worm, quail. You kill them all. So I guess the real question is, how cute does an animal have to be before, uh, before you care if it dies to feed you? That, yeah, and he's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Do you know, that's it's actually a Ted Nugent quote. Oh, is it really? Um, yeah, yeah. That's that's where that quote came from. Was was Ted Nugent, and um, I and I don't know if it's exactly word for word, but it's it's really really close. Uh-huh. And and if if you if you break that down, he's exactly right. Just like what you said, we there's not enough room in the world for all of us to be vegans. There's not enough room in the world or wildlife for everybody to be a hunter. So why not, if you choose to be a vegan, live that lifestyle? In my in my opinion, um, I have no problem with you do it. I think I think being a vegan is unhealthy. I think it's uh, if you're doing it for the social construct or uh, the, the reasons that are making you think you're getting on some kind of moral pedestal or high ground, you're wrong uh, because the facts don't support that. But if you want to, if, if you truly just want to be a vegan, I don't have any problem with that. Uh, I don't have any problem with, with anybody's lifestyle. Yeah. It just transfers to what he said. Um, and, and it transfers to, I'm, I'm a free American. Don't tell me I can't go hunting because you think there's something wrong with it because you don't understand the history of mankind and where hunting came from and what it has done for the betterment of, of human and the human condition throughout, throughout world history. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said that. So I'm not, uh, um, discrediting Mr. Ted Nugent. That'd be, that'd be a shame to <laughs> let popular culture and, and someone who really Kevin Costner does not fit his role there as right as anti gun or whatever he is. I don't know. I don't 
really pay attention. I, to. I don't either. But I, I don't. I don't. That's I don't. What, uh, <laughs> that's my. We can have a whole me. podcast on on Hollywood hypocrisies, buddy. Oh yeah, sure for sure. Uh, I'm not the one to host that one. <laughs> I don't have a clue. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Next one, we got Public, uh, public Land, land is, is Forever. forever. Yeah, Public Land is what, what a lot of people confuse, and, and this is where things get fuzzy. When, when you're talking about public land, things get really fuzzy because of politics, right? You know, politics likes to muddy the water anyway. Um, and and where, where some of that kind of gets muddy, I guess, I don't know how I'm trying to explain that, but, you know, you've got people on the right that don't believe in public land, that the, the state should own all the land. But what they don't understand about that is when the state owns it, most states have have either constitutional mandates or some kind of requirement that uh, like like I'll give you a great example here in the state of Idaho, state owned land has a, a constitutional mandate that states that if the state owns land, it has to generate revenue to benefit things such as public school districts um, and, other, and there's other other things that it would benefit. Hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. However, Public land uh, owned by the United States Forest Service or um, or not owned, I'm sorry, managed by the United States Forest Service or managed by BLM. Uh, public land is is ours. We own the land. It does not have to generate revenue. Um, it does not have to serve any specific purpose outside of public access. And when somebody is in like Texas for example, or like when I was stationed in the Marines out in North Carolina, public land was super limited. I mean, there, there just really wasn't a ton of public land. Uh, it was all privately owned and it, there was nowhere for just somebody that was making a military kind of salary, uh, to, to go hunt. And it was, it was a problem. Like we, we got screwed. And so, here in the West, we, we don't have that problem. We have like uh, uh, one example. I, I live 
in the Clark Fork Valley, which separates two of the biggest national forests in the United States. I can go north and be in some of the most remote, uh, high timber, coniferous forest kind of uh, high country that you can ever imagine. Or I can go south and and be in the same stuff, but uh, I don't know what what the difference is, but minus the grizzly bears go south. So guess which way I usually go? <laughs> Away from the bears. <laughs> yeah, I don't like the grizzly bears, man, because yeah. I hunt alone a lot. But anyways, uh, so public land is important, man, and it's uh, – it should never be sold to or transferred to the state. And, and the, the lies that these politicians tell talking about how, oh, well, we need to we need to give the, this U.S. Forest Service land. Uh, we need to transfer that back to the state. When they say that they're lying or they're incompetent because it never was the states to begin with. Uh, this is federally pr- protected land for you and I to enjoy. Uh, and it's it's where it's, if, if that land is transferred and the state takes ownership, they will sell it to private owners. Uh, mainly, you know, in Idaho, we have a big problem with Texas billionaires, uh, the Wilkes brothers. Oh, I didn't mean to say their name out loud. <laughs> they like to buy the public land and uh, and block it off to everybody so nobody has access to it. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's just not a, you know, just, I, I guess going back the, it is a pillar. It is a principle of the Western huntsman that, that public land is forever. It's ours and don't mess with it. I also, uh, like that you got the North American model of wildlife conservation in there. I mm-hmm. bet if you pull a thousand hunters, I would bet that 95% of them could not state a single one of those principles of those seven principles. I, yeah. I, I yeah, think the it's seven sisters. Yeah. I think it's so under represented. The, the representation of it is what I'm trying to say. There's, it's not out there as for hunters to just see and to connect with as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I'm always teaching hunt safe pro, hunter education programs, it's like, you need to know that part. That part's so important. So important. You don't have a so important that that is why uh, we are looking at science related pieces instead of emotional related pieces when talking exactly. about a bobcat trapping ban or uh, bear hunting bans or whatever it is. Yes, the the state agencies definitely have to manage a social aspect. Totally understand that is a piece of what they do, and, and they're they have to, but. It is in our DNA of all these agencies to manage wildlife based on sound science principles, as well as these exactly. other other items here, so that we don't turn into Europe. There's a pe- population that wants yeah. to turn into Europe for some unknown reason. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> but but uh, when the wildlife do not belong to you, um, that's that's a bummer. And it's a, if it's a status thing to to not be able to go do that. Uh, on top of the gun and the bow issues and not being able to have certain things. Uh, I got a, a buddy who just got back. Nope. He's got two more days in Spain, I believe, hunting Ibex. And he, I'm going to get him on. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, you should. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'm exci- he, he actually was quite impressed with how they manage wildlife, some really interesting things. Um, so I'm excited to hear his, his feedback on that. I know probably Spain does that a touch different than say the UK and, uh, who, oh, who kind of, kind of who rules the, the wildlife, but I know there's some really great places to hunt for sure. And they, and they do it a certain way, but 
it's not. But for the most part, it's it's about the average hunter. I, I had a guy on my show from the UK. Uh, that, that episode is called From Across the Pond with Kenneth Bartlett. And Kenneth talked about, you, you know, he is a super passionate bow hunter. You know how many times he's been bow hunt, actual bow hunting? Never. Huh. He has never been bow hunting, but he has a bow and he has a great, uh, he has a, he's all outfitted. He's got a great pack. He's got all this stuff. He'd love to go bow hunting, but he's, he's an average individual in a country that you have to have the King's permission to hunt his deer. You know, essentially I, I know, I know there's not like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. whatever, but <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not like a, a UK scientist here, yeah, but you, you know what I mean? We don't ask yeah. the King's permission to, to hunt his deer. Um, in, in America, the wildlife is held in, pu- in the public trust. And that's what the seven sisters talk about in the North American model of conservation. What that means is a, a great way to break that down is one of my, one of my daughters was like, well, dad, since we own the land, why can't we just shoot a deer whenever we want? And, and what, what I had to explain to her, because again, we're on this 26 acre homestead. We've got, um, dude, we've got some huge bucks on this property <laughs> That's awesome. and they're a lot, they're a lot smarter than me. Uh, <laughs> and I'm a public land hunter, uh, through and through, but I, I just, I didn't realize what I was getting into. I don't even know what to do with it. All these big bucks run through. I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. They're well, okay. Anyways. Uh, but she, that's what she said. She, she says, you know, um, why can't we just shoot them if they're on our land? Well, and, and I, I explained to her because, because honey, we don't, we don't own them. We don't own the wildlife. They're not ours to shoot. They're, they're managed for the greater good. They're not managed for just us because we own this chunk of land. They're managed for everybody. And, and that is why our system works so well. That's why, uh, we have had such an increase in white-tailed deer in this country and turkeys and Rocky Mountain elk and, and all these species that are thriving because of the efforts of hunters that are all using this North American model of wildlife conservation. And so I, I think I, when I put it into that perspective, it, it, it helped her understand, and I hope it helps other people understand, that there is something to this wildlife model of conservation that we use here. Uh, if you look throughout the world, there is nobody in the world that can come out of high school at maybe, you know, 19 years old where, and I'm, I'm using that age bracket for a reason. We're all broke at 19, right? None of us have, we, we, we don't even know where we're, how we're going to fill up our truck next week uh, with gas, but we could still get a tag and we have opportunity to go out and hunt a deer. That only happens in the United States and in Canada because of the North American wildlife conservation right. uh, model of conservation. And so anyway, sorry, I, I, I get passionate about this stuff. You can tell. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, and if, if you're listening, you don't really have a clue what that is. And even if you don't like to read, it's like a one pager from the fish and wildlife service. Yeah. Or it looks like you got a link from RMEF. Uh, I, I, I put the link on RMEF because I'm a RMEF fan. So I'm hoping go. it'll help direct people to RMEF. Yeah, and I bet uh, it's a one-pager, pretty short little. Um, there's not a lot, not a lot there. It, it doesn't take long to to read through. So uh, everybody if, should read that for you, sure. Yeah, it's absolutely. five minutes. All right, to hold and trust. So that kind of goes back to the model in a lot of ways. To hold and trust, um, and I say it right there. What I just said: we will never ask to hunt the king's deer. Mm-hmm. The, the animals are 
ours as a collective society. They're not, they're not specific to the Humane Society of the United States or the Center for Biological Diversity or, or PETA. Uh, they're theirs. They're ours. They're the bird watchers. They're the wildlife managers. They are the wildlife biologists. They are the attorneys in downtown Austin, Texas. They are the garbage man in Cleveland, Ohio's. Everybody gets to enjoy the wildlife in the same way as long as it is legal and being managed through science that we enjoy these animals. We can hunt them. Uh, we, we can get a tag. Uh, we don't have to have $200,000 to buy a deer tag. Um, our deer tags, uh, as, as uh, well, obviously I'm talking about resident hunters. When you go non-resident, you're going to pay a little bit more. Right. But I mean, everybody can get a deer tag and go deer hunting. And we don't have to worry about having to get, you know, a second mortgage to get a hunting permit or worrying about PETA telling us we can't, right? Yeah. That is the idea of that. And the other factor, again, that that to hold and trust really is a summarization of the seven sisters of the North American model of wildlife conservation, where we don't commercialize wild game meat. We don't go out and uh, buy, or I'm sorry, shoot a bunch of elk and sell it to a restaurant that wants to sell elk stroganoff, right? Mm. Um, because that is what happens in other countries. And that's why there, there are uh, many, in, in many countries, the game species are so limited and, and, and so far a few between uh, because it's a commercialized system. Um, we don't have that here in America. We, we can all enjoy it. It's affordable for everybody. And we can easily get a tag. We can easily afford it. We can uh, easily find the wild game that we are looking for. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I always find it baffling when people try and, like, say oh i'll pay you for some of that meat no that doesn't no that doesn't. <laughs> and then we dive into the well, conversation are you of, trying to get me to go to jail yeah exactly <laughs> like no 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 you don't know how big a deal that one would be no i'm giving you this and it's what i like to do just take it and i don't yeah. want anything in return because that's not not kosher so the yeah and that's some people always struggle with that a little bit of like you're giving them something and you're not giving anything in return or paying but we, like you said, we all can't be hunters and we all can't be hunters. And there's, there's a lot of like personal fulfillment and enjoyment when you take the wild game that you harvested and, and give it to somebody who doesn't have any. Absolutely. It, it just, it's healthy to the soul. Try it out. Yeah. No, I get my reward because of that. That's what I get in yep. return. Yep. And I, exactly. And I like that. If you think about native populations, not everybody was hunters. Not everybody went out yep. and hunted. And any tribesmen around the world, there were people that stayed back. There were people around. I'm a hunter. That's what I do. And I go out and I, I collect that and let me share that with you. And not You're exactly me, right. Yeah. So that and I and I yep. love that. My I I uh, had way too many tags and some people asked me that this year's like, how would you ever eat all of that? Like I don't. I I share. I share it with people that, that really enjoy it. They get excited about it. I gave a buddy two whole deer the other day and uh and i went out and hunted them just for him i knew he wanted yeah. a couple of deer or and he, you know those people that really want it my brothers they don't hunt a whole lot anymore or at all so sending meat home with them over christmas was great 
and I know they'll eat it. And I know my brothers, they love to use their, their Traegers and they're going to, they're going to do some fun stuff with it and they're going to like it and enjoy it. So I know it's think not of you in a positive way. Every time they cook it. Yeah. It's not my brothers. Maybe not my brothers. No, I knew we'd get along, man. No, <laughs> yeah, no, they, uh, no, they, they're, they're always appreciative. They send me pictures or say that what they made out of it of some sort. So, Oh, and, awesome. and my, uh, nephew, uh, over Christmas, he, uh, he requested elk tongue. That was his one thing. I mean, we've oh, got, really? We've got a prime rib there, and he doesn't he doesn't want it. I was supposed. I wants I, the elk tongue. Yeah, I usually did a little wild game feed over Christmas for my family. It's like, oh, hey, what's some new recipes? Some crazy things? Some whatever? Some beaver tail tongue, um, and then some ribs and meatballs and just fun stuff that that uh, just gets you thinking about how to. Do some different culinary things. It makes it fun. Oh, that's awesome. And this that's year, awesome. Man. Yeah. I and, love that. And this year it didn't happen because I wasn't getting in the middle of the uh, the uh, um, planning of meals this year. <laughs> and I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. For, I don't need to say anymore. But I wasn't getting in the middle of that. So, And that's when my brother said, no, Reese is really, really excited about having some elk tongues. Like, well. Good thing I got a couple in the freezer. I'll make them some elk tongue. <laughs> so that would be a first for me. I've never had elk tongue. <laughs> you, you know, you got so, it. It's a texture thing, it. and there's there's some things you got to do with it. You really got to do some things with it. Um, okay, I'll call you up and ask you about it when when the time comes. Ah, uh, yeah. It, it, it's not honestly my favorite. Uh, I've had some things that are really good. Um, first time I had it, I thought it was amazing, and then as leftovers the next time nope no good <laughs> yeah a gentleman that was my landlord actually he said oh bring me a tongue i'll make you this because his family was amish and he just made me i think he just boiled it and sliced it and put it on a sandwich and i was like this is so good and then pulled it out the next time it was like i couldn't couldn't eat it i don't know it was weird oh wow uh, yeah but i'd be a little weird though it, it's like it's like eating heart uh got a different texture it's just different you can get a little bit of that, even more of that mental aspect to it. That uh, uh, this uh. is a tongue. There's not taste buds in there there anymore, but it's different. It's really fatty. Just just a different kind of thing. For sure. So, so for sure. number four, respect to each outdoorsman. I like these last two a lot. I really like number four. Um, I and this has been a huge subject and talking point on on my show lately. Um, I, as it says on the website, we are not a purist platform. Uh, and what that means is, is I'm not just like a traditional bow hunter, right? I'm not just a fly fisherman. Um, I, I do all of it personally. And I don't, I don't care if somebody is a purist when it comes to that. Uh, and, and everybody kind of defines the purist aspect in their own way. But the point is, is as hunters and as, as, as outdoorsmen, um, we have to understand that whether you're a bow hunter, a rifle hunter, a traditional archery hunter, a muzzleloader hunter, a bait fisherman, a trapper, a houseman, what, whatever, whatever you do, I don't care if you hunt elk on a, on a high fence ranch and you pay $200,000 to go do it. But at the end of the day, our goal is the same. We want the meat in the freezer, 
and most of us like to go for the most mature animal we could find. That doesn't mean we're trophy hunters, right. but we do like a, a big, nice set of antlers. I mean, who doesn't? Let's let's just be adults about it. We all like that. If two bucks walked out and one was a little fork and horn and one was a, a 200-inch mule deer, there's no doubt in my mind that anybody listening to this, which one they would shoot, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, that doesn't make anybody. That doesn't make anybody a trophy hunter. I'm not a trophy hunter, but I do like to go after some mature deer, especially deer. I'm not good enough uh, hunter at anything else to, you know, go too crazy. But the point is, um, we we respect and enjoy each other, and we understand that we're all on the same team. At the end of the day, it, again, you don't. It doesn't matter how you pursue the game, the wild game. I don't care if you use a guide or you hunt private land or you're a public land guy. I don't care. At the end of the day, we all have the same goal. We all have the same passion. And the most important part of that is we all have the same enemy out there. And the enemy are the anti-hunting folks that want to shut our lifestyle down because they don't understand the science behind the, the management of game species through hunting. And so we and this this is where social media has become a problem. Everybody has a problem with the way somebody else is doing it. You wouldn't believe the threads. That, well, you probably would. See, the threads I've seen of people arguing about how to skin a deer <laughs> or what caliber is the best caliber for an elk or how to bait a bear or how to do this and how to do that, what boots to wear, what's the best pack. And these, these hunters go at each other's throats over these issues that are totally irrelevant Meanwhile, you've got PETA and the Center for Biological Diversity sitting back, soaking this up and eating this stuff up and utilizing it against us. And that is the point to the number four. Uh, We've got to love each other. We've got to respect each other. We've got to understand, like, I'm a big-time fly fisherman, but you think I won't go drown a worm to catch a bass? Hell no. I'll do that all day long, and I'll have a ball doing it. I I love fly fishing because of the areas it puts me in and the rivers that I, I get a stand on to do it. But I am not above taking a worm and opening up a beer and dropping that worm into the water and catching a trout. I, I, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. And, and we all have to understand whether you are a purist in one way or another, because I understand I've got, I've got some friends that are traditional arch- archery hunters and, and they're stone cold traditionalists. They don't want any kind of technology. They they want their their uh, stick bow. Uh, they want their spot that they're hunting, and that's all. They they don't want any of you know whatever else might be you know like for my bow, <laughs> I've got the best sights on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I use a release, and I've got these these arrows that my buddy knows that knows how to make them, how he makes them for me, and they're perfect and all that kind of stuff. But my buddy Nate, who is a traditionalist. Me and him, we don't fight about it. He he likes to hear my stories, and I love to hear his stories. He's been on the show a few times. In fact, he shot his biggest bear ever this year uh, with a traditional bow. Wow. Um, and that that is the essence of what we do. We must respect it because not everybody's into it. And, and one great example of that, what I was talking about, when you're talking about bow hunting, um, some people are just bow enthusiasts, right? They, they want to go shoot targets all the time. They want to go to the 3d archery hunts or shoots. There is nothing wrong with that for me. I I'm not like an archery enthusiast. I'm a bow hunter. I shoot my bow 
to a point to which I know that I'm going to be very lethal with it when it comes to hunting season. But I'm not like a very technical uh, enthusiast when it comes to bow hunting. Same thing with rifles. Rifles are a tool for me. I'm not like an enthusiast shooter. I don't go just shooting for the sake of shooting. I go shooting to sight in my rifle and make sure I can still hit things. And I'm pretty deadly with it, so I'm not worried about it. We have to understand that all of us are in this game and there's that's the the beauty of hunting and being a sportsman is the incredible amount of intricacies that we can get into there's so many layers to it and not everybody is going to follow the same layering system we we have so many different ways to approach hunting and so many different ways to enjoy it and what we get out of it is is fulfilling our souls as hunters in, in a way that people that never do it will never understand and so we've got to respect each other and quit fighting on freaking Facebook all the time over what caliber somebody's shooting. Like, have you ever seen an argument so ridiculous as the pro 6.5 Creedmoor versus the anti 6.5 Creedmoor? Like, what the hell? <laughs> it's just, it's just laughable. <laughs> it is. It is laughable, and, but and, it's it's also concerning, <laughs> it, right? Because yeah, absolutely. To for certain topics, absolutely, because you have have uh, certain anti's watching. You have people watching, yeah. and for those very uh, good opportunities to nab a picture, nab a comment, nab it, and they got a data point. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I definitely think about too the. The people that are on the East Coast or on the eastern side of the U.S. that are doing deer drives and how some people yeah. in the West here be like, no, that, no, you shouldn't be doing that uh, while we're out here chasing lions with dogs. And out mm-hmm. there they may be like, no, you shouldn't be doing that. It, it, yeah, she, just like what you're saying. We're on the same team. We have different – it's different cultures throughout. I've spoken about this a couple of times on this podcast, but it's – we have – there's different hunting cultures but it's still, we are all hunters. And, exactly. And, and those people that have found arrowheads still, with those people that find those arrowheads, think about that little connection that they had with that hunter that was thousands of years oh, ago. Oh, man. Picking up something Dude. or seeing that. We have that connection there with that individual, and yet we can't have a connection with a, a lion hunter or a deer drive guy. So true. I love, I love that. I love that comparison you made. I, I was bow hunting at like 10,000 feet elevation in central Utah for mule deer one time. And I had just bought, I had saved money. This was back before I had, you know, I, I, I was, I was broke. Let's put it that way. I, I was broke. And, uh, I had saved money for months to buy this new bow. It was a PSE stinger or something, something like that. Uh, I was super excited. I go up 10,000 feet elevation. This is uh, that time I was telling you that my wife and I, we moved back to Utah because I, I had taken a job down in Salt Lake mm-hmm. uh, down there. for, And we we spent like, I don't know, three or four years there, had it with Utah and came back to Idaho because we love Idaho. But I'm up there hunting. Uh, and I came across this scree rock uh, area and I found the coolest original arrowhead that was laying under this sagebrush under some dirt and I, I was just i was i was actually sitting down to kind of do some glassing and and, and whatnot and i i was just kind of moving the dirt around this arrowhead pops up this thing had to be a thousand years old 
And think about that for a minute. Like, think about that. You were thinking the, you, the native. What's that? You, I was just thinking you were sitting in the same spot someone else sat in because you had the same yeah. idea about that spot. We had the same view. We knew. Okay, if I could see, if I could see what I'm going after across this little canyon, I can make a game plan as to how I can get there. And and somebody, you know, I, I and. I actually had it historically referenced when this happened, but this was 10 years ago and I can't, I can't remember. It was somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand years ago. Hmm. And I, I just can't remember exactly, but, um, I still have it's not. It's just an amazing thing. It's just an amazing thing. Somebody a thousand years ago was sitting on that mountain thinking that they were going to take a bow and kill an animal for sustenance and life and, and fulfillment. And, and I'm sitting here, a thousand years later doing the same thing with modern equipment, but right. still with a bow. Yeah. Just, it's crazy. I still have not found any cool artifacts like that, but I'm trying to look at the ground a little bit more. Cause I really want to find something. Cause there's, it's a good opportunity here in South Dakota to find stuff like I that. I was going to say you're in South Dakota, man. You, you, should uh, be. you might. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You should be in good, good area for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but sure. I, I did find, uh, one year trapping, I looked at a piece of ground. I was like, ooh, I like that spot. I'm going to go put a trap there. And I went over to put my trap right in that area. And I pulled up an old double long spring that some old trapper had left oh, there. And I was like, no kidding. I was like, yes, I had the same idea that old timer did. <laughs> this is a good That's spot. That's awesome. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. So cool. And that was something that happened probably 30 years prior. And it was not that hmm. old of a trapper. It probably was the previous landowner. The trap was probably, I know, it was double long spring. Not even, not. I got into trap collecting a little oh. bit here and there, but it was it was one that was probably in the 50s, 60s, 70s, probably somewhere in there. So amazing! But and, I mean, I just I love that kind of stuff, man. That is so cool. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. respect to each outdoorsman. I like it. Yep. Uh, poachers are not hunters. That's such a the headlines get that wrong all the time. Yeah, the, well, you said it. The headlines uh, there. In fact, just recently there was I, I read a headline that uh, made me cringe. It was like you know two hunters arrested for poaching an elk. Well, is that how you say that headline, or do you say two poachers arrested for poaching an elk? Because they're not hunters. They may have one at one point in their life been hunters, but they're not hunters anymore. Uh, hunting in order for it to work and in order for the balance of, of wildlife management to succeed on the landscape, it has to be done through science and legally. If it's, if it's not, then you're, you're, what, what you're doing is you're going against the, the wildlife management system. And so you're throwing, you're throwing the landscape and the, and the, and the ecological system, and the wildlife management process out of balance uh, and just, you know, it's unsportsmanlike anyway, Yeah. but when you're, we're hunters are not poachers. Poachers are not hunters. It's, it's a very simple con concept when you're playing. Uh, we don't tolerate it here. We, did you, you didn't say anything about, uh, do you have brothers? Yeah, I've, I've got a little brother. Yeah. All right. When you guys were playing Monopoly or some board game and my brother, my older brother, I don't know. I know he cheated. I got a picture of him looking at my <laughs> cards when we were <laughs> young kids. That's why I never oh, really? won. Yeah, that's why I would never won. Uh, <laughs> that 
that was not a he did not win after that yeah he cheated yeah he, he didn't win it was not the exact same thing it, not the same thing at all it is not it so. is not the same thing and you know it's it's one of those things you know a lot of a lot of my my thought process with with uh, that particular principle on, on the website there the poachers are not hunters is it's really kind of geared towards thinking about our next generation and the future of hunting and teaching teaching the kids what what is hunting ethics because i feel like we had some time that went by where the adults were not maybe teaching the ethical side of hunting and that's why many of us end up with a experiences with uh, a bunch of jerks on the mountain i, right. I don't want to cuss right. I, I don't know what your policy on cussing is but um there and there there is a lack of ethics and responsible hunting and sportsmanship that i i've noticed in the last 15 years or so i don't know how old you are i, I just turned 41 i'm not super happy about being in my 40s but it is what it is here 30, we go 35 got a few okay more years so there. you're just right behind me man yeah. like you're gonna be 40 before you enjoy 35 <laughs> to 40 because it happens fast um <laughs> anyways you know it's it's just an interesting thing uh when i when i was a when i was a kid and and you know the, the whole blaze orange thing was kind of a new thing. Everybody was having to wear blaze orange when we're deer hunting. If you saw blaze orange on, on a mountain, uh, you moved on. We went elsewhere. And I know that there's a lot of areas where that's going to be very difficult because of the amount of hunters that we have. Right. But I can also tell you that if you look hard enough, you'll find those, that you'll find the areas where you can get away from it. But nowadays, man, it's like, everybody's just, up in your face all over the, all over the place. And, and they don't care if they're ruining your hunt or they're stepping on your toes. It's all public land and the animals are owned by everybody. So it's not like there's anything you could do about it, but there used to be a much higher level of respect where if somebody was parked at a, at a smaller trailhead where, you know, you knew if, if one or two hunters was in there, that, that kind of took that whole area up where now, People don't care. You'll have 10 trucks parked there and, and all of a sudden you've got a bunch of people in there. Do you think that has any connection to new hunters that were not raised in hunting families going out and they're just maybe ignorant to the fact? That could totally be, man. I've never really thought about it that deeply, um, but but that could totally be. Just a piece I, of I it. just know. Just a piece. Yeah, it's just a piece, man. When I, when I was a kid, if there was a truck parked somewhere – my whether it was my dad or my grandpa or whatever it was like okay well that's okay well well this is why we have plan a to z not just plan a uh and we'll go to plan b and and you just keep going and and that's okay but but yeah because what do most of those people that are that don't get into hunting until let's say their 30s but they also enjoy the outdoors they'd go to a trailhead they'd see other vehicles and they'd continue Mm -hmm. hiking so it's, it's a great point. That's not, not a foreign thing to them if they if they didn't have somebody, a mentor like you saying something like, Hey, no, let's move on. So there's yeah, there's just so yeah. many there's so many different things to learn. Too many different things to learn. And I and I going back to the your last the respect each outdoorsman, I, I made a note here. I had a question from someone the other day. Uh they had shot a a, a fawn, a young of the year it was a it was an antlerless tag 
Uh, and little white tails sometimes get really tricky to know. Well, is that thing six, eight months year old, or is that a year and a half year old? Uh, for for a new mm-hmm. hunter for sure. So, but it had it was a little button buck, and they didn't know it. And had they known it, they probably wouldn't have shot it. But the uh, she asked me about, well, how how could I tell it, it would uh, it was with another buck? Is that is that kind of a, a normal thing? Would they be moving around here and with them? And I I know a lot of people that would just jump in with a this is what happens. Here's my opinion. Blah blah blah. And I just always go to well, it depends. It just so depends. There's um, yeah. I really try not to be an opinionated hunter that that says that I know the answer. I know the answer. This happens all the time. And, th- and that seems to be the case. Like the six, five is the best, the whatever is the best. Uh, and well, it depends. <laughs> there's a, there's a yeah. lot of, a lot of depends to, uh, the situation. And, and there's always scenarios where it can happen this way this time. It's going to happen that way another time. So oh, you're uh, exactly right. I mean, I, for me, I mean, shoot, man. A little button buck could have been with a doe just as easily as it was with a buck. I, I don't know. I, Absolutely. And I have, I, I do get opinionated, but there's, when you're talking about like the, the behavioral aspect of wildlife and, and deer and elk and gosh, man, I know that there is like a general set of ideas that make sense to people. Uh, but I have, I can't tell you how many times I've seen wildlife buck the, the general belief. <laughs> right. Right. And <laughs> that's, and that, yeah. So. And that's the thing I was trying to, not, not necessarily opinionated. That's not literally the word, but what you just said, that's trying, what I was trying to portray that. Yeah. Yes. The, the mold is broken quite a bit. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that always sure. changes the perception of, and the, and I always tell people is like, that make, that makes hunting fun. I mean, you, you go out and you see something new every time you wonder why that deer was able to, why you were able to get so close, but yet you rid peek over to the next ridge and that deer bolted. Yeah, <laughs> that, exactly. That always man. throws me <laughs> off. Exactly. That's why I say always have your bow ready. Always have it with you. Cause I had a, I didn't feel my, my archery deer tag in South Dakota this year just cause I didn't yeah, shot and got a little my shooting got a little rough at the end of the year uh <laughs> the daylight uh lack of daylight really hurt me uh, on my practice time but mm-hmm. um yeah i just had a one moment in particular carrying my checking trail cameras and and uh not carrying my bow during the season and there's a, a buck standing at 30 yards as i uh. go to check my camera i was like oh well i guess i should have been carrying my camera as i'm just walking loudly through the woods and, then... and it just it just you just never know man yeah. you just never know i i've talked about it on my show i missed out on a drop tine north of 300 inch bull elk this year oh my because God. my bow the string when i drew back got caught in the camera that was strapped to my shoulder i had this shoulder the pack shoulder mounted tacticam camera for a point of view filming. Yeah. And I was, I was trying to get it on film and, and this bull dude, he just came in like so much faster than I've ever seen a bull. You know, you know, most bulls are, they, they get, they, they get hung up. They're a little leery. They're a little more cautious. Not this guy, man. He was looking for a fight and I bugled and he was on top of me within 30 seconds. And when I, I was ready for him, but uh, what I wasn't ready for is all the alder brush had pushed that camera down. So when I drew back, my string got caught. And I have it all on film. 
so that nobody can be like, oh, you're just full of crap. Nope, I got it on film right here. (laughs) And you can see it drops my camera down, and you can see my foot, and you can hear me cussing. (laughs) This drop-tying bowl is standing there looking at me like, what is that? And turns around and runs off. (laughs) Where was the the drop-tying coming out of? Like, on his left side, on his left side, just, uh, it, it was like this weird ball on the bottom, uh, past his ear. And it was the craziest thing because when he came off the nub, he, he was laid up with a bunch of cows on top of this hill. Uh, I, I almost said the name of that hill, but people would know where I'm talking about <laughs> in North Idaho. It's my secret spot. It's my, nobody ever hunts it for elk. Everybody goes there for like, you know, white tail deer and stuff. Yeah. But uh, nobody goes there for elk season. So in September, I have this whole mountain to myself, and you can hike all the way to the top of it. There's always a herd of elk up there, and there's always two or three bulls up there. And I've had a lot of success up there. Anyways, I knew that they were up there because I bugled at them, you know, almost a mile before this, and he, he answered back. And so what I did is I just shut up and got right up in his business and got within about 50 yards or so from where they were bedded down and I ripped off this huge, nasty, mean bugle telling him where he can go stick it. And he jumps out of his bed and, and was on top of me within 30 seconds. And the point is, is when, when he came up over the top of the hill, cause he was bedded on the other side, there was like this bare patch of trees and he comes running through and it's probably 50, 60 yards from me. And I could see the drop time at that point. That's that's how like obvious it was. Oh, wow. Then he runs down through these alders, and I had been kind of traipsing through the alders, and that's what kind of knocked my camera down. Um, anyway, I've have some heartburn over that particular uh, day, obviously. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so it was awesome, though. Awesome experience. Yeah. Uh, it just goes to show, you just never know. You just never know. Sometimes if you're traipsing, like you were saying walking through the woods without 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 a care in the world and and there's a huge buck standing there sometimes you let a bugle off and the bull's on top of you in 30 seconds they don't need any more coaxing you know you know it just depends yeah absolutely i love it um well i told you i wouldn't start any more big topics uh we're at an hour and 10 so um i'm glad we got one little quick hunting story in there i'm really glad we did but i really like the (laughs) Uh, review of your five principles. I think there's plenty there for everybody to to hear and get refreshed on and learn from again. And, and a, a thing to go look for, like the North American model. So go digging for that. But I'll yeah, I'll get you sure. get you moving. You're you're on a different time zone than me, so you're you're at nine oh one right now. So I'll let uh, let you get off to whatever you got to do do to end your evening. No, I. I'm on seven. I'm on Pacific time in North Idaho. I'm only at seven o'clock. Oh, seven. Oh, whoops. Yeah. Right. I think you're on nine. I'm on, it's eight here. I'm oh, on, it's eight. Yep, okay. Yep, I'm on you're mountain. on mountain. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. God, the time zones are the hardest thing for recording podcasts. <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> I always screw them up. So, no, I appreciate you having me on, Clint. This is, uh, it was a fun conversation. Uh, thanks a bunch. Uh, I, I'll have to get you on my show yes. one of these days. Yeah, you bet. I'd love to chat and, Whatever, uh, um, it's, yeah, whatever comes up, we can, we can discuss and that's the best point. It's best. Yeah. Best part of doing a podcast, man, is all the new friends we get to make. Absolutely. That's why I'm doing it. So for sure. All right. Well, have a good evening and, uh, stay in touch. You as well. Thanks Clint. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Have a good night. All right. You too.
ground. This is God's country. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm ill there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.